Heritage Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. I'll never forget the day that one of my college professors handed out a very political article in a non-political class from the New York Times. As she passed it around the classroom, she told us that President Bush was trying to take away our Social Security. The op-ed was written by Paul Krugman, titled Gambling with Your Retirement. I didn't know a lot about the issue at the time, but I know now that George W. Bush was actually trying to help Americans save more money through personal savings accounts. Over a decade later, the debate hasn't changed. Bush's Social Security initiative failed, and Social Security, the government's largest federal program, is running deficits. Each year, the government releases a report on the current and projected financial status of the program. And this year's report just came out. Numbers on Social Security and Medicare. When do these two systems run out of money? Edward Lawrence is with us and he's going to tell us. Go, Edward. Yeah, the bad news is the Social Security runs out of money, but by the time I retire, runs out of money in 2035. Welcome back to Velshi and Roll. We got to talk Social Security and Medicare, programs that millions of Americans rely on for retirement and old age care. Well, guess what? They're in deep trouble. A new report says millions of Americans could see their Social Security benefits slashed when they retire. That report shows the combined trust funds for the government's two largest programs will run out by 2035. That means there will not be enough money to pay out the full promised benefits. Instead, it will only be able to pay about three quarters of what was promised. Still, there is no guarantee that will happen. The trustees say that Congress can create policies to ensure that both programs do get enough money to keep their word. So how much of the money that you have paid in Social Security taxes, and remember, we all do, will you actually see later in life? If you're already receiving benefits, how much do you stand to lose? And what can Congress do to fix this, and why haven't they yet? Today, Rachel Gresler, A research fellow in Heritage's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget explains. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I thought we would start by talking just briefly about what Social Security is at a really 101 level. So Social Security is called an old age survivor's insurance program. This started in the Depression era as a result of a lot of older people really having their lifetime savings wiped out. And you had people who were no longer physically able to work, and yet they had no savings there. And so lawmakers came together and established a program that's supposed to be a social insurance program aimed at providing older people who can't work anymore with a relatively small but stable source of income so that they don't outlive their savings. And it's called a trust fund, right? So it's something that we built into starting during the Depression around the 1930s. Yes. So there is this so-called trust fund that exists. And what's happened over time is workers would pay into the system. And the earliest workers didn't actually have to pay into the system very long before they started to receive benefits. But you had this money that was theoretically accumulating in the trust fund. And then the benefits go out the door later, whether that was five years down the road for the earliest workers or four decades down the road if a younger worker is starting out today. The problem with this theoretical trust fund, however, is that there's actually no money in the trust fund. 
consistently over time, Congress has used those Social Security payroll tax revenues that come in every year to fund all sorts of other government spending. And then they've issued that trust fund with IOUs that are sitting there. And so there's a there is money there in theory, but in order to actually cash in on that money, we have to exchange uh, one type of debt for another. And so as it is today, we actually don't have any buildup happening in the trust fund. In 2018, workers paid in a trillion dollars in payroll taxes, and then they sent out the door just over a trillion dollars in benefits. And so they were able to send more out than they actually took in because there is theoretically some money in the trust fund, but that required them to cash in on these IOUs that are sitting there. So in short, we're in the hole. We're already in the hole. And until an estimated date of 2035, we have some IOUs sitting in there where Congress will issue new debt so that they can pay those out. But yes, we're already in the hole and the hole is getting deeper each year. And and so this isn't breaking news either. This is something we've been talking about for a really long time. Yes, for decades. And Congress has been in a similar situation in the past. In 1983, they enacted reforms that were supposed to make the program solvent for the long run, which is considered 75 years. They thought until at least 2058, we'll have all the money in there that we need. Well, now, as we've seen with recent reports, the trustees now project that it will be 23 years sooner in 2035 that the trust fund will run out of money. We talk about this issue. We hear that word a lot, insolvent. What do you mean by that? So insolvent means there are no more IOUs in the trust fund. And all that we can do is take the money that's coming in each year from workers' paychecks. And we're limited by that much and how much we can send out the door in benefits. So when the program becomes insolvent, right now, policymakers estimate that it will be able to pay somewhere between about 75 and 80 percent of benefits, depending on the year. And so I think that's interesting is that, you know, we hear that and I personally think that's unfair to get 70 or 80 percent of, you know, what you've been told you're going to get. Um, but I've heard the flip side. I've, I've heard Democrats talk about how this is a great program and that's actually really great and effective that we would still be getting that much. Right. Nobody wants to pay into a system that they're promised something and they don't get what's in return. And actually on both counts, it's really not a great system. If you were to get even 100% of what is promised to you, it's actually less than workers would be saving on their own. Um, but 75 or 80% of your benefit is not, that's right. not a good deal. No, you know, workers all. are paying in on average, somebody born in 2000 will pay almost a half a million dollars in payroll taxes wow. at the current tax rate, which isn't enough to fund the system. And so you're going to give up half a million dollars and then get only 75 to 80% of what the program is supposed to pay you. Okay, so let's look at this um, from a young person's perspective. Um, You hear a lot that, you know, we're not going to see any of our money at all. Um, You broke this down interestingly in your op-ed. So you said anyone below the age of 52 is on track to receive only 75 to 80 percent of their benefits. That's what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. What if if somebody – what if it's someone who's retiring, let's say, this year? Right. So even somebody who's retiring this year at age 62, which you're allowed to do for the early eligibility, they would start to have their benefits cut at age 78. And that's based on the trustees report. There's also the CBO has a different projection, which their benefits would be cut at age 72. So you're talking about more about a dozen years in the future. Yeah, that's that's happening. So this is current retirees, these people that are near retirement. And somebody who's retired today, you know, when they're In their later ages, 74, 78, whatever it is, that's a really difficult time to have your benefits cut by 25%. So I'm going to 
go back to your op-ed that you recently wrote that actually inspired this episode and walk through some of the options on the table to fix this. Um, One way you said is by increasing taxes. What would happen if Congress raised taxes so that it would have the money to pay back its debt to the people? Yes. So Congress, that's one option, raising taxes. And if they did it sooner, then the tax increases would be lower. So if Congress acted immediately today, they could make Social Security solvent through a 22 percent tax increase. Um, So take an average worker, you know, Terrence, who makes $50,000 per year. How much more is that going to be for him? It's going to be an extra $1,400 in taxes. And so his total Social Security bill will go up from $6,200 per year to $7,600 per year. And that's a lot for somebody who's making $50,000. But that's if, like, best case scenario, we act immediately and minimize the pain. Um, If Congress waits until 2035 when there are no more IOUs in the trust fund, they're going to have to raise taxes by 29%. That's an extra $1,800 per year for Terrence or a total Social Security bill of $8,000 with an income of $50,000. That's a pretty big hit for an average worker. And Terrence, he's one of the profiles. I'm going to talk about another profile in that. But Rachel has this really these graphics that break down individuals at different ages and incomes and and, um, levels in their life and how these options would affect them. Okay, so what if Congress cut benefits instead? Yep. Benefit cuts would not be without pain either, um, but they would be a little bit smaller than the tax increases. So if Congress were to cut benefits immediately, um, then Terrence would see a total benefit cut of about $57,600. That's a 17% cut. Um, And if they wait until 2035, those cuts would be 23% or about $78,000 less in total benefits over his lifetime. Now, those are the trustees' projections. You know, CBO, as I said, has an earlier date, and they actually estimate that the benefit cuts would have to be even higher, between 27 and 31 percent. But heritage experts have found another option. Can you explain that? Yes. So we would love to maintain the program and make sure that it's there for the people who really need it. But we see it as a better way if we could target it towards the people who need it and free up more resources for workers so that they can keep more of their paychecks and have some savings of their own and not rely exclusively on Social Security during retirement. So it's pretty easy. Actually, with Social Security, it's not like Medicare that's a lot more difficult. We have four simple steps. Um, The first is just to look at the fact that Social Security's retirement age has stayed relatively stable over time. And yet workers' life expectancies have increased by 17 years since the program began. And so we would like to tie that age of eligibility, which is currently 62 or 67, depending on when you choose to take them. We'd like to tie that to life expectancy and increase it over time so that we can have automatic changes instead of having to have ad hoc ones along the way. When Social Security first started, actually, the average person did not get Social Security benefits. Life expectancy was about 61 years. And so you kind of beat the odds if you ever got a Social Security benefit check. And today, people are living decades beyond their first eligibility age. So this is really a common sense proposal there. Another way that we would like to change the program and target it more to the workers who need it is to shift towards what we would call a flat kind of universal anti-poverty benefit. This has been done in Europe. New Zealand has one. And so everybody would get the same benefit level um, and that would target it better to workers who need it. Roughly a third of workers would see an increase in their benefits and others would see a reduction. Now, of course, we would not implement this immediately because people have been paying into what is a progressive program for decades um, and they've been paying pretty high tax rates towards that. 
So we suggest gradually implementing it over time. And so decades in the future is when we would realize this flat benefit. And we would also have a subsequent reduction in the payroll tax rate because the cost of providing that benefit would be lower. And then there are just some more common sense proposals. Just use a more accurate measure of inflation as we adjust benefits year by year. And also modernize the program, things like the spousal benefit, accounting for the fact that most women participate in the labor force today. Heritage estimates that these changes alone would more than solve Social Security's shortfall for up to 75 years. And beyond that, it would improve by so much that you could reduce the Social Security tax rate by as much as 13%. This is in contrast to proposals in Congress right now that would raise Social Security taxes by a quarter or a third. We'll be right back after a short break. Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? If you want to understand what's happening at the court, subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court. Rachel, I'd like to bring up something else you wrote, and that is that most workers don't realize that they could achieve a much larger retirement income by saving far less than what our Social Security taxes actually take out that even workers earning $10 an hour could achieve Social Security's promised benefit by saving half as much as the taxes demand. Can you explain this a little? The benefit of compounding returns over time, as I was talking about earlier today, um, the money that goes into Social Security immediately goes out the door. And so we're stripping workers of ever having the opportunity to earn a positive return over time and to see their inve- their savings grow as they're invested. Through interest. Yes. You know, if you invest it, whether it's in bonds or stocks or just a saving account, you earn interest or positive returns. And that has just tremendous growth over time. Like Rachel's example with Terrence. Another graphic in her op-ed depicts profiles of workers with different salaries and how today's Social Security program is robbing them of potential opportunity and investment. For example, Mark, a 23-year-old, earns about $60,000 a year. His lifetime payout in Social Security taxes is about $550,000. And when he retires he'll receive about $2,200 a month in Social Security benefits. But Rachel's chart shows that if he invested in a personal retirement account, also known as an IRA, he could have saved $1.5 million for retirement, broken down into a $6,600 a month payment. This seems like a no-brainer to me. So I asked Rachel, why has it been so hard to make a move on this issue? Yes, it's hard to move it because people have already had benefits. You know, one out of five Americans receives a Social Security check, and they see that as a great thing. They're not looking so much at the total amount that they paid over time, which they actually perceive as being half of what they paid because the employer pays half. So they don't think so much about what they paid over time, but more about what they're getting today. And nobody wants to lose what they're getting. And younger workers don't want to lose what the system promises them. And I think it's because they aren't realizing what they could have if they weren't paying so much into Social Security. Um, From a liberal versus conservative perspective, it's really an issue of do we want the government program to be bigger and more people to rely on that program? 
Is there security in retirement or disability? Or would you rather people have more money of their own that they can use kind of throughout life circumstances as well, not just in retirement, but maybe it's something like taking paid family leave or paying for a child's education. If they have savings that they can use for all types of different things, they're going to be far better off and they will be more prepared for retirement. Last question for you, Rachel. Do we hear that the Trump administration has any plans to move on something like this? Where does the issue stand right now? They have no plans to move on Social Security, and the president has said he doesn't want to touch that. But they have talked about disability insurance, which is a component of Social Security's program. And so they have proposed some really common sense and helpful reforms to make Social Security's disability insurance program better targeted to kind of weed out fraud and abuse um, and to make it solvent in the long run. We really need a more efficient and effective program there, but it would be Really nice to see the administration standing behind um, some of the proposals in Congress. There is a conservative measure that would make Social Security solvent in many of the ways that I discussed above with the same proposals as Heritage has supported. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Heritage Explains. Rachel's op-ed along with the charts will be in today's show notes. You can find those notes in the description of today's episode in whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. For example, if you're using iTunes, double tap on the title of today's show and you'll see the links there. Tim's up next week with an all new explainer. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.